0: Let us turn in God's word this morning to Psalm 38, Psalm 38. Consider this psalm this morning in connection with the Our Catechism, Lord's Day 51. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Psalm 38 entitled a psalm of David to bring to repentance. O Lord, rebuke me not in thy wrath, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. For thine arrows stick fast in me, and thy hand presseth me sore. There is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger, neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. For mine iniquities are gone over mine head. As in heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and are corrupt because of my foolishness. I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long. For my loins are filled with a loathsome disease and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and sore broken. I have roared by reason of the disquietness of my heart. Lord, all my desire is before thee, and my groaning is not hid from thee. My heart panteth, my strength faileth me. As for the light of mine eyes, it also is gone from me. My lovers and my friends stand aloof from my sore, and my kinsmen stand afar off. They also that seek after my life lay snares for me, and they that seek my hurt speak mischievous things and imagine deceits all the day long. But I, as a deaf man, heard not, and I was as a dumb man that openeth not his mouth. Thus I was as a man that heareth not, and in whose mouth are no reproofs. For in thee, O Lord, do I hope. Thou wilt hear, O Lord my God. For I said, hear me, lest otherwise they should rejoice over me when my foot slippeth. They magnify themselves against me. For I am ready to halt, and my sorrow is continually before me. For I will declare mine iniquity. I will be sorry for my sin. But mine enemies are lively and they are strong. And they that hate me wrongfully are multiplied. They also that render evil for good are mine adversaries because I follow the thing that good is. Forsake me not O Lord, O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. Thus far we read God's holy and inspired word. May God bless the reading of his holy scriptures unto our hearts. The text that we consider this morning is the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 51. Word's Day 51, question 126, which is the fifth petition? And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That is, be pleased for the sake of Christ's blood not to impute to us poor sinners our transgressions nor that depravity which always cleaves to us even as we feel this evidence of thy grace in us that it is our firm resolution from the heart to forgive our neighbor. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, we consider the second to last petition that Jesus gave to his disciples in the model prayer. This is a petition that is basic to Christianity. It is the fundamental gospel truth that Jesus Christ came into this world in order to save us from our sins. It is a petition that we make frequently. Perhaps every prayer that we make concludes with these words, forgive us our sins. It is a petition that we teach our children to make so that from a very young age they are taught to express sorrow for their sins. But in light of the frequency with which we make this petition we must be on guard then that we do not allow these words simply to be a formal expression of the lips that fails to arise out of a heart sincere. We're making a bold Bold petition when we go to God and ask Him forgive us our sins. This is the cry of one who has no other hope but then that Jesus Christ will satisfy the righteous demands of God. For the psalmist, as he asked God for the pardon of his sins, this was not done out of custom or habit, but this was the earnest cry that arose out of the psalmist's heart. Psalm 38, verse 7, For my loins are filled with a loathsome disease, and there is no soundness in my flesh. Verse 18. For I will declare mine iniquity. I will be sorry for my sin. Pleading forgiveness. We use that as our theme for the sermon this morning, pleading forgiveness. First, we'll consider what is our confession, second, what is the petition that we make, and third, what is our hope? What is your confession regarding sin? The catechism. Describes for us our sinfulness, and it does so using several different words. First of all, there is in in the Kettleberg Catechism the word debt, using the words of Jesus Christ forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. The idea of being in debt is a straightforward concept. You go to the banker, something that you want to purchase, but you lack the resources, the money to be able to purchase it yourself. And so you ask the banker for a loan for a certain amount of money to be able to purchase that which you desire. A contract is drawn up. There's a promise that you will repay the banker the money that you are borrowing from him. There's the terms of the contract. There's the length of Repayment. There's the interest rates that you're going to pay on the money that you've borrowed from the bank. After having then secured the money from the bank, you can use that then to purchase the item that you promised the banker that you would use that money for debt. But whereas when we go to the banker, and there's a nice contract that's drawn up, and there's a mutual agreement between banker and the one who is borrowing the money in distinction from that the debt that we owe unto God we mustn't imagine that this is some mutual contract that's worked out between God and his people that there's a nice tidy contract that's signed That God gives us something and then we use that to go purchase something that we've desired. But rather, beloved, our indebtedness is this. We went to God and we robbed Him. We stole from God. God knows that we've stolen from Him. He knows exactly what we've stolen from him and he requires now that we pay back that which we've stolen that's the sense in which we are indebted to God, we're robbers what is it that we've stolen from God is it not this beloved it's law We have a love debt that we owe to God. That's God's great commandment. Love me as the Lord your God and love the neighbor as yourself. Every time then that we fail to keep that commandment of love, we go, as it were, more and more into Debt unto God. And then the Catechism goes on in its description of our sinfulness, describes us as poor sinners. That is, be pleased for the sake of Christ's blood not to impute to us poor sinners. And the idea of, the biblical idea of sin is this it's to miss the mark. There's the standard, the mark that God has set before us. That standard is his holy law. And we then, every time that we sin against God, we miss that mark. It's not that we accidentally miss that mark, but it's an intentional deviation from that mark. It's because we judge that our priorities in life are more important than what God, would have us to do. It's because we have lusts, because there's envy, because there's pride that rises up within our hearts that we think that our desires are more important than the objective standard of God's law, that then we deviate, we miss the mark, and thus we are poor sinners. It could be that our sin is a sin of omission, or it could be that our sin in missing the mark is a sin of commission. When we sin by omission, then we fail to do what we know we should have done. Omission. When we as parents see a child behaving in a sinful way, and we know that we should Discipline, correct the child, but we cannot be bothered to carry out discipline. Sin of omission, when God gives unto us opportunity to witness to the neighbor that God has put in our pathway, but we rob God by failing to witness, failing to let our light shine, in that opportunity. And then sins of commission. Sins where we perform something that we know we should not have done. When we speak a word that does not hallow or sanctify the name of our God. When one desecrates the Sabbath and uses the Sabbath for his own desires instead of for the worship of Jehovah God. Poor sinners, the catechism describes us as. And then the catechism goes on to speak of transgressions. Be pleased for the sake of Christ's blood not to impute to us poor sinners our transgression. A transgression is any violation of the law. The law is the standard that God sets before us. The law determines what is good and what is evil, what is holy and what is wicked. The transgression then is any violation of that good and holy law that God in his grace gives unto us. We are by nature a lawless and a disobedient people. We do not delight in the law of the Lord. We do not meditate upon his precepts as we ought to, but instead we become a law unto ourselves, and thus we are guilty of transgressions. And then the catechism goes on. Nor that depravity which always cleaves to law. Depravity. It shows that the problem of sin in our lives is more than simply an external problem. It's more than simply what we've done with our hands, what we've touched with our hands. It's more of a problem than simply the words that come off of our lips. But this is a problem in our hearts and our souls. There is depravity within us. We are, we confess with the psalmist, conceived and born in sin. We've inherited from our parents going all the way back to our first parent, Adam, this corrupt, depraved nature. This depravity cleaves us, clings to us all the days of our lives. There is no improvement upon that old man of sin within us. It's not the case that through the power of the will, through the power of sanctification, that that old man is gradually, incrementally improved upon so that that old man becomes less and less evil and Eventually, that old man becomes good. No. This depravity cleaves to us. Until we take our final breath upon this earth, we struggle against that old man of sin. What is, beloved, your? confession not regarding sin in general but regarding your particular sins the word of god in the catechism teaches us how we are to confess our sins confession begins With an understanding, an intellectual understanding of who I am and what I have done. As I compare my thoughts, my words, my desires, and my actions unto that standard of God's law, I see where I have been in conflict with that law of God. Confession of sin acknowledges that I have deviated from that mark that God has set before me. Confession of sin does not shift the blame unto others. Confession of sin does not blame the circumstances of my life. The one who confesses sin does not say unto God, well, it's because I had this heavy burden, this heavy cross in my life that I was bearing up under, that then to a certain extent this sin is understandable. That's not confession of sin. Confession of sin does not point to the other person in the relationship and point the finger at that individual and say, well, it's because this individual did this or that sinful deed against me that then I responded in the way I did. Isn't it understandable that I responded with a little bit of anger, a little bit of frustration in my voice in light of what this other person did unto me? It's so easy for us to do that, especially in... Even the closest relationships that God has given to us, even in the holy state of marriage. One spouse sins against the other spouse. The one sinned against begins to think about all that he or she has done, all the good that that individual has done for the marriage. All of the selfless sacrifices made for the marriage. And now this spouse is going to treat me in this way after I have behaved so selflessly and in such a giving way. And then the devil would have us start to feel sorry for ourselves and justify the sinful retort to the spouse. Confession of sin is an acknowledgement. I have sinned. The psalmist confessed this. Psalm 38, verse 3, There is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger, neither is there any rest in my bones, Because of my sin. Verse 5. My wounds stink and are corrupt because of my foolishness. Confession of sin includes as well this, beloved, an acknowledgement that these sins are hurtful. Sin is not a victimless crime. But sin hurts. It's robbery of God. It's marching into the courtroom of God and stealing from Him what is not ours to take. Sin is a grief of heart to Jehovah. God were it not for his tender mercies then he would deal with us according to his justice he would according to Psalm 103 deal with us according to our sins and reward us according to our iniquities and then what does confession of sin include? It includes understanding this, beloved, that because we have deviated from that law of God, we deserve the justice and the condemnation of Jehovah God. It is to acknowledge that we are guilty as we stand before Jehovah. And that because we're guilty, we ought to be the ones who have to pay off this debt. God would do no injustice to us, if He would require of us that we spend the rest of our days upon this earth paying off that debt that we have stolen from Him. Indeed, He would do no injustice to us if not only for the rest of this lifetime, but in the lifetime to come as well, if into all eternity He would send us into everlasting condemnation, exacting of us that payment for the sins which we have committed against Him. The greatness of our sins is determined by the greatness of the one against whom we have sinned. How great is your God? We have sinned not merely against a mere mortal human being, but we have sinned against the immortal The everlasting, the holy of holies, Jehovah. And now we deserve his condemnation. Confession of sin acknowledges that. And then as well, confession of sin includes a genuine sorrow for the sins which are committed. It's not merely an intellectual understanding that I have deviated from the law and that thus I'm indebted unto God. But this knowledge that begins in our heads makes its way to our hearts. And we are grieved by the sins committed against Jehovah God. The psalmist in verse 6. I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long. Verse 8. I am feeble and sore broken. I have roared by reason of the disquietness of my heart. As we stand before Jehovah God, we are confessing. Not merely that we've sinned against some great power, but beloved, we have sinned against our Father. We have walked into His house. We have robbed from Him, and we have walked out, imagining that we could get away with our sinfulness. There's a grief. A pleading of the heart as one confesses sins to God. Apart from the operations of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, we could never make this confession. Parents quickly come to realize this truth regarding their children. You can set the standard before your children. You can teach them the law. You can reprimand your children when they break that law. You can teach your children to fold his little hands and pray to God. But you cannot give your child a broken and a contrite heart. Only God The Holy Spirit, by his invisible and efficacious operations, is capable of working in the hearts of his people, brokenness over sin. What then is our petition? Jesus, as he teaches us, make this fifth petition, teaches us to pray, forgive us, our debts, as we forgive our debtors. The psalmist put it this way in the end of Psalm 38 verses 21 and 22 Forsake me not, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. For what then are we asking God? We are asking Him first of all for non imputation. We're asking God not to impute to us poor sinners our transgressions nor that depravity which always cleaves to us. We're asking God legally to not impute unto us that the sins that we have committed against him nor the guilt which is due unto us for those sins we're asking god as yes, we ask him not to impute to us our sins we're asking god to do a trade and there are two aspects to this trade the first aspect of the trade is we're asking god to take our sins and the guilt that is due unto us and to place those not on us but to place those on Christ. And then the other aspect of this trade is we're asking God to take the righteousness, the holiness, and the satisfaction of Jesus Christ and to take those and to give those unto us. Do not impute unto us our sins, but rather grant unto us the finished work of Jesus Christ, who is the Lamb without blemish. Grant unto us the the finished blessing of his work. And then we're asking as well that God would remove the penalty of our sins, the curse of our sins. There's the weight of our sinfulness, which is a burden grievous to be borne. The psalmist confessed, I'm troubled, I am bowed down greatly. And the penitent child of God experiences that weight, that soul-crushing burden of his or her offenses against Jehovah God. And so to plead then for forgiveness is to ask that God will lift up that weight, take the curse off of me and place it upon Thine only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. And then to plead for the forgiveness of sins is to plead as well that God would not remember our sins. Don't hold our sins against us. Don't don't maintain a record of the wrongs that we've committed against the Jehovah God. But blot these sins from thy sight and from thy memory. Deal with us as though we are righteous and holy and upright in thy sight. Forgive us. And then this is a prayer as well that God would restore unto us the blessing of communion and fellowship with him. For sin, we understand, creates a barrier between God and the creature. There can be no sweet communion with Jehovah God after we've walked into his house and robbed him of that which lawfully belonged unto him. Objectively, we understand, according to the doctrine of the preservation of the saints, we do always belong unto God. But subjectively, by our sins, we can feel very distant from Jehovah God. When one walks impenitently in sin, then one is not given the assurance that the cries of his lips ascend unto the holy presence of Jehovah God. The canons of Dort speak of enormous sins by which we grieve the Holy Spirit, interrupt the exercise of faith, and sometimes lose the sense of God's favor for a time. Father, forgive me that is Restore unto me the blessedness of communion and fellowship with Thee. Understanding, beloved, what we are asking God in this petition, who would even dare to make such a request? Who would be bold enough? Who would be so Audacious, as it were, to ask God for forgiveness. Imagine going before a man against whom you have sinned, your neighbor. You've committed terrible sins against this neighbor. You've stolen his property. You saw what he had. You lusted after it. You went and took it as your own. You tried to destroy his house. You slaughtered his children. You took his wife and fornicated her. And now you're going to go before that man And say, don't remember my sins anymore. I plead of you. Don't remember them. Forgive them. Let me go of any guilt. Let me go of any penalty for the sins that I've committed against you. Do you understand, beloved, the audacity, the boldness, that is required to make this fifth petition? Who, being keenly aware of the sins which one has committed, would dare to go into the presence of Jehovah and plead of God, who knows everything, whose eyes behold everything on this earth, who is offended, who is grieved by our sins, who would dare to go unto him and say, Father, I plead of thee, forgive me my sins. Let them go. Do not hold them against me. May there be no barrier in my fellowship with thee, but may I be restored into thy presence. May I come and talk with thee and enjoy covenant fellowship. The only way we can make this fifth petition is by the grace and the power of God. Jesus gives unto us His indwelling Spirit who calls us out of darkness and into His marvelous light. And the Spirit gives unto us the confidence that we can go into the presence of our God. We believe that our God will not respond in anger when we confess our sins unto him. We believe by the work of the Holy Spirit that our God will not cast us off, that he will not sever that covenant that he has established with us, that he will not go off and search for somebody holier, somebody or somebody better than us with whom he can establish his relationship. But our confidence is that the God of mercy and truth will forever maintain his covenant with his children. We make this request, asking for the pardon of our sins, because, beloved, we realize we have no other option. What's the alternative? Don't confess your sins. And there is no forgiveness. If we say we have no sins, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. 1 John 1. But in the way of confession, God gives unto us, His children, the blessing of forgiveness. Our hope rests on Jehovah. Verse 15 of Psalm 38 For in thee, O Lord, do I hope. Thou wilt hear, O Lord my God. This is our hope that as we confess our sins unto Jehovah God, He will not turn His face away from us, He will not cover His ears as we confess unto Him. But he will bend down his ear unto this earth, and he will hear the cries that we lift up unto him. This is our only hope that Jehovah God will hear and graciously pardon. For no one else can grant unto us that blessing of justification. Parents, though they love their children and would lay down their life for their children, cannot satisfy for the righteous demands of Jehovah God. The elders, the minister, the deacons of the church, though they love the congregation and labor as servants on behalf of the congregation cannot justify the parishioners of the church. But it is God and Jehovah God only who is just who is righteous and who is the God of mercy, who for Jesus' sake is pleased not to impute unto us, poor sinners, our transgressions, but who grants unto us the righteousness of Christ. Our hope in Jehovah is sure and steadfast. Our hope is not like the hope that the man of the world has, Man of the world has many things for which he hopes, but the man of the world has no certainty that he will receive that for which he hopes. He hopes that he will prosper and succeed. He hopes that he will be given health and strength. If he takes an interest in sports teams, he hopes that this team or that team will win. But there is no guarantee. Our hope is different our hope rests on jehovah god our hope depends not upon us or the power or strength of men but our hope depends on the power and strength of jehovah god Through this blessing, through the central blessing of justification, we receive all of the other blessings of Jesus Christ. Being forgiven, being justified, we have hope that God will give us peace with Him. Romans 5, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Being justified, we have the confidence of faith. We believe that we have access unto God through the faith of Jesus Christ. Though the devil accuses us and seeks to testify in our conscience that we are not forgiven. Yet we know that if God be for us, then who can be against us? Those who are justified have the hope of the resurrection of the dead. We look forward to that day when Jesus Christ will return, will raise up our bodies from the dead, and we will be brought into the joys of life everlasting. Hear, then, the word of the gospel. Psalm 32, verse 5. I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Selah. And 1 John 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father and our God in heaven, we thank thee for thy mercy unto us, which mercies are new to us every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Wilt thou bless and keep us? Wilt thou cause the light of thy countenance to shine down upon us? And wilt thou, for Jesus' sake, forgive us our sins? Amen.